Today's show is being brought to you by Fox Searchlight Pictures presenting Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Nominated for four Screen Actors Guild Awards, including Best Ensemble and Producers Guild nominee for Best Picture of the Year. Awards eligible in all categories. Daniel Pemberton is a renowned Golden Globe-nominated British film composer who has been immediately fast-tracked in the industry for his bold scores, such as Steve Jobs and The Man from U.N.C.L.E. This year, he delivers a great classical Italian-infused score for Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World. It's the third time that Pemberton has worked with Scott after the director discovered his music in the 2011 supernatural thriller The Awakening. At the time we recorded this podcast, Scott had just made the decision to reshoot the film after locking in a cut. We talked to Pemberton on Crew Call about how he was planning for this change-up. In the end, we hear not a note was changed. So the news that broke of Ridley going back, doing the reshoots with Christopher Plummer, was this news to you? I think I, I found out about it at the same time everyone else did. Uh, so it's pretty insane. But, I mean, Ridley is an, an amazing force of nature. I don't think I've ever worked with anyone with so much energy and um, just desire to just, like, let's just go get something done. The guy has got, he's just got so much energy. He's just constantly, right, let's do the next thing, let's go. And I think we actually get on quite well because I, I'm kind of quite like that. Like, let's not mess around. Let's just get this thing done. It's a gorgeous score. Very classical. Uh, and I can hear the Italian influence and the choral part. Before we go into the origins of it, let me, how does your work change from here on in? Is this a simple, very, because first of all, did, did you have a locked cut? Did you have a oh, cut yeah, I ready mean, for, for ne- that was supposed to go for AFI? We finished, the, I finished mixing the film two days ago in London. Uh, we're working on this crazy schedule. Everyone's been working on a crazy schedule all through the film because it's been a really tight turnaround. But um, I think with Ridley, there's just this, always this sort of spirit of like, okay, let's just get this thing done. We'll get it done. Whatever it takes, we'll get it done. And that's everyone on the crew from like, you know, editorial to like post special effects, sound team, you know, everyone just, it's like a big engine and we all just go. And because part of that is because Ridley has that energy as well. So it's, you know, when the, when the captain of the ship is running, you know, 200 miles an hour, you've got to keep up with him. So, we were told the the you know everyone in the trades were told that Kevin did 10, 10 production days. But in terms of in the film, is he is he in a third of the film? Is he in a half of the film? Is the character? There's a lot of scenes in the film. I mean, the film is like an ensemble piece, and um, there's a lot of stuff with the other characters in the film. So I mean, I, I'm kind of amazed at the challenge in some ways, but I'm also just think if anyone can pull this off, Ridley's the guy who can pull it off. Do you anticipate having to write more score or is this an easy flip flop? All the scenes that had Kevin are now flipped. They will now have, they will now have Christopher, your score doesn't change. Or do you anticipate writing more? By now I have, I, I don't know, but like, you know, whatever Ridley wants, we'll just do it. Like if we need to write more score, we'll write more score. And I mean, I know he's been really, he's been really great through the process and really happy with, you know, what we've been doing, well, what I've been doing musically. But if we have to rewrite stuff, you know, we've got strong thematic material through the film. 
So it'd just be a case of, you know, just going back into studio and, and rescoring it if we need to. But at the same time, you know, it's quite possible they'll just be changing shot for shot. But I don't, like like everyone else, I don't know yet. So um, complete guess on my part. In the main theme, <clears throat> the first track, Yeah. I there's these bellowing, it's a cello. There's strings. Yeah. It's almost like stomping. Is oh, that dum, 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 yep. little, little, is that dum, dum. meant to signify, to symbolize Getty? There's there's a whole bunch of themes in the film. We have this kind of boop ba ba boop ba uh, on a it's very sort of simple theme on a flute, which kind of comes through a lot. And a lot of the film, you know, Ridley would describe Getty as enigma. You you know, he is an enigma, enigmatic character. You can't really figure him out. Even by the end of the film, he's not straight. He's not a straightforward character. And part of that was trying to find a, a way musically to signify that idea but not tell you too much so it doesn't commit in a way that certain other themes in the film do um the stuff you're talking about at the beginning the very like big string opening is just it's the opening of the film and it's just setting up a pace and a set of stri- a, a sense of stridency to the the movie and we kind of revisit that theme a number of times when we go to his estate um and kind of creating the world of getty which is this you know very opulent uh sort of elegant historical and uh, sort of almost classical kind of world you know getty was fascinated by antiquities and antiques and great works of art and it felt like musically you wanted to represent that um you know he was a guy who would who kind of believed himself to be reincarnated from hadrian which you sort of find out in the film and part of the music is trying to like grasp those elements of his his character. Now you don't, an, but again, you don't anticipate with a different actor playing the role that anything that you've laid out musically, what you were scoring to would 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 change. I mean, he's the I, same menacing Getty. Yeah, I mean, I'm look, at the end of the day, I'm scoring the story, and the story is not going to change. You know, the performer might change, but the story is still going to be the same thing. And all the ideas musically we've got through the film, you know, those thematic ideas, I can't see changing. You know, we've spent a long time. We, you know, the film was finished. The film is phenomenal. Like the last few days when all this happened, it was, you know, very draining for all the people who worked on the film because there were so many people. I mean, there's so many people who work on this movie, right? And there's just one person who, you know, ends up sort of destroying, potentially destroying all these people's work over the last, you know, year, two years. And I think what Ridley's done is, kind of an amazingly brave exciting move that you'd only get from like a maverick filmmaker like him so when when were you when did you i i know that you've worked with ridley before like on the counselor and then there was there was the vatican yeah um uh project but i know that ridley dropped everything to do this movie he was originally going to do a a cartel movie and um, he dropped everything to do this. this. I remember this getting announced at, at Cannes. 
When did you board? Uh, I came on board. I was still finishing off Molly's game. But I went on set to visit him in Rome. Um, so I kind of came on... I didn't have very long. I was on it for a few months. Um, and again, it was a crazy turnaround because of the AFI screening. We had to get it all finished in time. But like I say, the thing with Ridley is he he's a kind of guy who doesn't want to hear excuses. He's just like, right, can we get this done? Okay, good. Let's get it done. And so you have to like just keep up with him the whole time. And it's very exciting because you can really do anything very quickly if you just say we're going to do it. Like in this film, there was a scene where very early on, when they had been talking to me about the film, I was just trying to kind of come up with different ideas. And one of the things I discovered was this kind of style of Italian folk singing, which goes back generations to generations, which is this thing called tenores, which is this very unusual throat singing uh, from Italy, which is kind of, I, I, I can't do it, but very fascinating. And I had this idea of trying to do the score with a lot of that. But once I read the script and started looking at how it was being shot, it didn't feel right. So I kind of put it on the, the back burner. Fast forward a few months, written most, you know, written a lot of the score already. I'm in LA for a spotting session. I've got this one scene. It's kind of okay, but it's not really working. And I'm, I suddenly go, oh, let's just try this thing, Ridley. And we just grab a laptop and pull down this video off YouTube of, of these singers who I found on YouTube of just them singing in the street. And we play it over this scene and he's like, I love it. Yeah, yeah, let's get them. And then you're like, oh, fuck, okay. <laughs> and so one week later, you know, I fly back to England. And then they're like, well, we've got to track these guys down who we found on YouTube, literally on YouTube, these guys singing to see if we can get them doing something on the score. Where are they from? Uh, they're from a small town called Alina in Sardinia. Oh, my. Uh, which is like, also, it's like right in the middle of Sardinia. It's like- You chart a boat? Uh, we flew over, drew, like, drove about two and a half hours to this tiny town. I had uh, no idea really how it would um, work out. Uh, and it was amazing because, you know, it's like, you know, really just says, like, let's just do it. And so we went out there. We've, it's town in the middle of nowhere, uh, found these guys, singers, and just recorded them. And then they've ended up being in part of the school. Were they professionals or were they just street singers? Yeah, they're kind of like streets. You know, they're street singers. They've all got, like, you know, day jobs and they. You know, this is this is a type of folk singing that has been passed down the generation from generation to generation, and it's very specific to very rural elements. Uh, How long did that take to find them and everything? Uh, we did it quite. Quick. It was quite impressive how quickly we got it together. I mean, I was like, I was like, like a week. Yeah, I had to be there because we had no time. I was like, I've got to do this. I've got to organize this. So this is like the one weekend we can get there, and they've all got jobs. So it's like they can't just come and do a session at two o'clock on a Wednesday. And we have to find a studio. I mean, we're in this town in the middle of nowhere. And you first saw footage of the movie, what, two months ago, roughly? Um, no, I probably saw, I, well, I went to Rome, so I saw, I saw it in August when they were shooting in Rome. Um, and you began then? You started laying cues Yeah, yeah, down. I started coming up. I mean, we, we talked a lot about, you know, we went to, I mean, I like trying to get involved with a movie very early on, you know, rather than, hey, we've cut it now and here's the temp. Um, so I try and get involved early on. So, I, you know, I come along, script stage, chat a lot about ideas. This one was so condensed, it was like, right, we're going already. Um, but, uh, yeah, I went to Rome. We chatted about ideas of, like, tried some different sort of musical things out on scenes. And I remember this. there's a scene where in the edit, and I'm like, okay, I want to try um, this track. And I'm, I'm trying to just 
dig it out from somewhere and I start talking about Zorba the Greek. Got to have Zorba the Greek. And Ridley's like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, you know, Zorba the Greek, that great piece of classical music. And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh no, shit, Zardok the Priest, <laughs> which is a very different piece to Zorba the Greek, if you know your pieces. Anyway, we tried that over a scene and it was actually quite exciting looking at how the operatic element of that and the scale worked against the picture. So that ended up having quite a big impact uh, just tonally on, okay, let's approach the world of Getty in this very grand operatic way where we can also approach the world of kidnappers in this more rural kind of way. And one of the things we use a lot all through the film is this idea of different voices. So we had these voices which we ended up recording in um, sort of rural Italy to sort of represent the world uh, the kidnappers came from, which was very rural, um, very kind of earthy in a way, and quite coarse. And you know, these voices are beautiful. They they sing beautifully, but it's got a real tradition to it, and a kind of roughness that you don't have from, let's say, Getty's world, which is this very refined world of kind of opera or a kind of medieval song. What I love about your work is that everything has personality. And it's like Man From U.N.C.L.E., that that retro 60s jazz score, gorgeous. Um, Steve Jobs, the whole technical 80s element of it, computer sound, beautiful. This is, is, is completely classical. And what's interesting is it's a complete 180 from what you did for Ridley on The Counselor. The Counselor was very, correct me if I'm wrong, synthetic. You were literally making your own sound yeah. to, to go with the noir of the piece. How, tell, tell me about how, was, was the whole idea you're shooting in Italy, it's a, it's a caper, like the whole onus of doing opera and of mixing opera and classical on this where did that where did that inspiration come from i mean every time i do a movie i try and like i don't want to repeat myself the whole time but i want to do what is best for the movie and i always like trying to come to every project completely fresh which is great but like unbelievably taxing because you know loads of composers end up having here's my little way of doing things here's my system whereas every time i do a movie i'm like shit how am i going to do this like how are we going to make this work and I like, I love movies that have really strong identities. I love it when you go into film and you have no idea what you're gonna, exp what you're gonna see or hear, and hopefully you're gonna get excited by, you know, whatever that world of music or sound or visuals is gonna be. And so I love trying to create very specific worlds of sound for each movie that are unique to that. And this one, it just, you know, I was just sort of being, inspired by so much of what's happening on screen as well like like with Ridley's films you get really inspired by the kind of architecture and the lighting like the way he shoots the way he frames things I, I mean I've watched this film many times and I'm still blown away by so many sh like pretty much every shot in this film is beautiful there's so much 
beauty in the way this film has been made. I mean, I think it's one of the best things he's done. And it's just astounding, like how much of a grasp he's got of just like how to light something and and frame scenes which aren't even particularly grand. They're just, it's only when you look at a film, a, a scene over and over again, which I've done many times on this, that you just see these details that you don't even spot the first time around. And I've always found with his scores in the past of like the great scores, often they are reflecting the architecture of the world. Like with Blade Runner, you know, one of the things that's really fascinating with that is the way Vangelis sort of mirrors the way the cars move, the spinners fall down, you know, the kind of the lights of the city. Um, and I want to do that a bit with this because Getty lives in this very grand world of like fine art, you know, um, ancient architecture. And I'm trying to mirror that world through the music. So that's what felt right for this story. Today's show is being brought to you by Fox Searchlight Pictures, presenting three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Nominated for four Screen Actors Guild Awards, including Best Actress Frances McDormand, Best Supporting Actors Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell, and Outstanding Performance by a Cast. Awards eligible in all categories. And then we, we, go, to, we go to Molly's game, completely rock and roll. Yeah, very different school. Tell me about how, why you made that aesthetic well, choice. Well, with that, I kind of felt... Um, I met with Aaron, and he... You know, we, I, I, weirdly, I'd actually met Molly years before at the Golden Globes because she was uh, with Aaron for uh, when, when he won for Steve Jobs. So it's kind of weird. I'd actually met Molly, the, original, the real Molly, like two years before. And the world she inhabits and the world of the film is a very contemporary... Um, young kind of world and there's also there's also it's not a genre of poker movie but there almost is a genre of poker movies right and it always scored the same way which is like trumpets and jazz kind of thing and I was like I don't want to do that because that is not really this world they live in this world is like kind of like LA sort of brash characters fast money you know the whole thing's very fast and it's got an energy and a rawness that I wanted to capture through the score. And I didn't want to write it like a traditional film score. I was like, I want this to feel like this score has been done by a band or a number of bands. And I wanted to feel it almost more like a kind of needle drop sort of score in some ways, but one that had been crafted like a film score. But it meant I had to try and look at it through the headspace of more being in a band than being a film composer. Forgive me, your first instrument, guitar? Uh, piano. Piano, Yeah. okay. Um, what kind of guitar did you use? Did you use a variety of guitars? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd use, lo I mean, we, we'd use loads of different stuff on this. I mean, I play a bunch of... I'm not even a very good guitarist, but um, uh, I play a bit. I've got a great guitarist I work with called Leo Abrahams, who's like an amazing guitar player who's played for everyone. And, um, yeah, I, I just literally got a little band together of, like, people I've worked with over the years. And they all play for, like, you know, people like Air... Um, Square Pusher, Pulp, Brian Eno. They're kind of people who play in bands, Pulp, anyway. 
because I wanted that authenticity of like these are people who play in rock bands you know I wanted this score to feel like as authentic as I could um, as if these were tracks that just didn't have vocals on because with Aaron's films he writes such amazing dialogue and the dialogue is such a big part of the film that you've got to give that space and again that's always the big challenge is how do you make a score that has a personality and um, an individuality yet that still has space for Aaron's dialogue and the other thing was so you had a very small was it a small like how many how many people it's like I mean there's the... a core band of about four people but you know it's like we were looking at that like more like you make a rock record so you would layer things up multi-track um, you know it was kind of looking at that ele- that way but then there's also this other element of the film which was the like Molly's theme there's a very like strong theme that comes through the film and you know when I first met Aaron he was just like I just want a theme I really want a theme that does this hits here and pays off at the end was great you know this is the first film Aaron's ever made and it's fantastic and it's like you'd think this guy's been making films for 30 years and he was fantastic director to work with because he was very good at giving me freedom and trusting in me because he wasn't even sure he wanted to go down this route originally and I said look let me try and convince you and as soon as we got going he's like this is great and he was so supportive all the way through the process, like really supportive director and really supportive at allowing me to try ideas out. And we have this theme that comes through the film that just reprises and then pays off at the very end when we're back on the ski slopes with Molly, which is how the film opens. I don't want to tell you how it ends, but he, he wanted something big and soaring and emotional that paid off at the end. And, you know, we managed to do that through the film. And so that was an interesting element as well, of trying to write a traditional film score arc but have it more done as if it was done by a band than a film composer now was he involved in the music at all with with Steve Jobs uh, no the first time I met Aaron was when I was doing um, a Q&A for Steve Jobs and he just turned to me and told me how wonderful he thought the music was and then proceeded to tell the audience how wonderful he thought it was and it was one of these moments where I was like oh my god I really hope someone here like I know is here because it was just the most like amazing eulogy about how much he loved my score. It was it was like, wow, that was crazy. Aaron Sorkin's just telling everyone how great he thinks my music is. But that was a good moment. Can you tell us what you're working on now? Um, I'm trying to take a break because it's been a pretty relentless year. I did like uh, Molly's Game. Uh, I did a Black Mirror, which is going to come out at Christmas, which is a really good episode of Black Mirror. I don't know if you know that show. Then I've done Ridley's film. So I'm trying to take a break, but I might not be because I might be jumping on another popular film of some sort, which I can't talk about yet. Called All the Money in the World. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, do, when do you, like what, as far as what else you need to do on All the Money in the World, what, what's next? They're going to shoot this. Sometime later in the month, you might be roped back in. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've recorded a lot of material. You know, I mean, you know, we've scored the movie already. But, you know, if we have to rescore it again, I'll rescore it again. I mean, you know, again, at the end of the day, it's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. And, you know, if it needs elements rescored, of course, I'll rescore them because... I'm always going to do whatever Ridley needs. Everyone around, like Ridley has a very tight crew and it's like whatever Ridley wants, you're going to do it, you know, because he inspires loyalty from everyone around him. Um, how big was your orchestra on all the money? Um, oh God, I don't even know now. We had like various sizes. I think we had like a 70 piece. Um, the whole thing was like such a, de- a days of like, I was still writing, like we were recording and I'd be writing the end credits like two days before in the middle of recording sessions because the other thing that is difficult is there's only a number of stages in London to record on and they're all very busy at the moment and we were so up against it that we had to sort of jump between different studios and I was still writing so we were recording half the score then I was writing the other half and you know still waiting for certain scenes to be locked um, you know it's really close to the wire but you know you just have to go with the tempo of the film so a lot of 20 hour days yeah I haven't had much sleep just now a long time yeah yeah, yeah. Um, before before you leave us, um, tell us tell us how you got on on Ridley's radar because um, you know you you started off very very strong with him. Yeah, I well, I was amazing. I did a I did a short I did a film called The Awakening, which was a um, period ghost film by this great British director called Nick Murphy with Rebecca Hall in the main role. And it was a beautiful film, great film. Sort of didn't do that much in terms of you know box office action and kind of came and sort of went but um ridley happened to see it and he comes in one day you know he also consumes so many movies he's always watching for new talent and what's going on he's got he's got his finger very much on the pulse and uh his his editor this fantastic guy called pietro scalia he i'd worked with him once before on a short film um called ghost recon and so Ridley comes in saying, I've just seen this movie, you know, it's great, blah, blah, blah. And Pietro's like, oh, that's the guy I've been telling you about, the composer. And so Ridley's like, oh, let's just get him in for a meeting. And so I came in for a meeting, met Ridley. We kind of clicked. I mean, it seemed to get on really well. I think there's a bond in the, he taught himself how to direct by doing, as he says, his 10,000 years and 10,000 hours in the garage on advertising and he sort of said to me you've done your 10,000 hours in the garage in TV because I worked in British TV for like 20 years and just learned on the job um, and then you know I got invited to school the counsellor and you know it was a great process and um, you know we really enjoyed working together and I also early this year came on with him um, on Felt which he was producing the um, Liam Neeson Watergate film so again that was a different sort of uh collaboration where he was the producer uh, Peter Landsman was the director but um, you know it's always good working with him Daniel Pemberton on Crew Call thank you for listening to the Crew Call podcast to ensure you never miss an episode make sure to subscribe for this and all other Deadline podcasts in the podcasts app Stitcher Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts see you next week